We're continuing a series we began last week called Making Change. You know, the economy has got people in a twist and their personal finances have been greatly impacted by inflation and everything else that's going on right now. And so if we want to experience some personal change and make change in our finances, we've got to make some changes to the way we view and handle money. And so that's the heartbeat behind this series. And today, I know that people get tense when they they hear you're going to talk about money in church and it gets really awkward and uncomfortable. Some people even leave. They're like, yeah, I'm, I'm skipping in church today. But the guy that you're going to hear from today, I am convinced is going to change your mind about how fun it can be to talk about money in church. To steal a phrase from uh, Pastor Rich Clarkson, uh, Joe Sangle is bursting with fruit flavors. He is high energy, charismatic, and fired up and wants to help people begin to win with their money God's way. And so he is the founder of I Was Broke, Now I'm Not, and the author of a book by the same title, the president of Enjoy Stewardship Solutions. And I want you guys to join me in giving a huge Life Church Buffalo welcome to my friend, Joe Sangle. Come on, let's go. let's go. Love you, brother. Who's fired up to be at church today? Yes! <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. I've been hearing all that God has been doing at Life Church Buffalo, and I get to see it in person. It's so great to see all your smiling faces. Who is fired up? Is everybody fired up? Yeah! The Bills are going to win it all this year. It's amazing. I'm a Colts fan. Pray for me. Colts stands for count on losing this Sunday. Um, that's what it stands for. Uh, but yeah, I am so fired up to be here with Pastor Pete and Kelly and be, being able to see what God has been able to accomplish here in Buffalo, New York is nothing short of a God-given miracle. And I am so thrilled uh, to be able to be a part of it, a small part of it. And in this series of Making Change, we, we are focused on money. Uh, who here, uh, you like money? I did not say love money. I said like money. Does anybody like money? Okay, I like money. Okay. Um, who is frustrated by money? Is anybody frustrated by money? Okay, that's awesome. I got some friends here. Um, and so I am so excited this evening at six o'clock, we're gonna have the financial learning experience. So today we're gonna talk about some spiritual principles of money. This evening we're gonna show practically how to make them come to life in your, in your everyday walk and journey with money. And so I hope you'll come. We brought more than enough materials. You can bring your friends, your family. You can bring your broke kids, get fired up. If you got a broke brother-in-law, bring him too. It's awesome. So we'll see everybody here. Even if you're winning with money, you know somebody who's not. And so bring them here. There's over 100 free financial tools, and we're gonna have a lot of fun, and there'll be some really bad jokes, some dad jokes. It'll be great. Yeah, that's awesome. But, uh, you know, here's the fact that, you know, last week, Pastor talked about a fundamental view of money, and that's the fact of ownership, on whether or not we view it that we own it or that the Lord owns it. Last week, we learned this fundamental fact that God owns it all, that you don't see the U-Haul following the hearse to the graveyard, right? The fact that it is us as managers for a season of time. And as we talk about making change, my hope today is that some area of your life, the Lord invades and helps us make change. Because how many of you know it takes the Lord for change to take place in our life? As they say, the only person who likes change is a baby, right? I'm serious. It, it is tough to change. 
I am almost a half a century old. I don't know how that happened. I blinked and I went from like 24 and I'm 49 now. And I've noticed the older I get, the less I like change. Everything is in order, my order, leave it alone. Is anybody with me? All right. But you know what? We should not be that way when it comes to the Lord intervening in our life. That we should view it as a holy interruption that says, hey, it's time to make a change. And today, my, my prayer is that this will be an inspirational message to you, an encouragement to you. And at the end, I'm going to issue a challenge, and I hope you'll take the challenge. Anybody want to take a challenge today? Awesome. It's going to be great. And so, let's look at a story. It's a real miracle that took place during Jesus' ministry. And it's really the story of the feeding of 5,000. And we'll read it, and then see how this relates to our life of financial management. John chapter 6, verses 5 through 13 says this. The word of the Lord. When Jesus looked up, saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, eight months wages. Can you hear the incredulousness in his voice? Eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there is plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they all had had enough, everybody say enough. enough. No, say it louder, enough. Yeah, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. It's an incredible miracle, isn't it? And it's a miracle that we can all learn from today. And we're gonna explore it and look at it through the frame of this question, what happens, what really happens when we choose to give? Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you that you still work miracles today. God, there are people who came in this house today and they're praying for a miracle in their life. This morning, they literally uttered the words, that'd take a miracle. Lord, I, I pray that you would draw near to them and let them know you're still in the miracle working business. Lord, help us to embrace this lifestyle as a manager, as a steward. Help us to be found, Lord, convicted of living generously. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. What happens when we give? If you're taking notes today, the first thing that I wanted to share, the three things that happen when you give is when we give, we honor God. When we give, we honor God. Think about this little boy. Uh, I, I, I was once a young boy. In fact, I was the youngest of six boys. My mother and father had four boys, and they tried one more time to have that blessed baby girl and on March 31st, at 10.30 at night, the nurse was listening to the womb with the stethoscope, and she raced out and got a doctor. What's the day after March 31st? April Fool's Day. This is relevant to the story. The nurse races out and get a doctor and said, there's something wrong with the baby's heartbeat. And the doctor came in, and he listened, and he didn't look fearful at all. He broke into a broad smile and said, there's nothing wrong with the baby's heartbeats. There's two of them. That is when my mother found out she was having twins. 
And my mother said what I think any mother would say an hour and a half before April Fool's Day. She looked straight at the doctor. I have witnesses and said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I'm going to have one and it better be a girl or I'm sending it back. That's what she said. The doctor smiled and said, I don't know about the boy girl part, but there's two. Get ready. And so a half hour later, my identical twin brother was born. And seven minutes later, I was born. Yes. My mother did not cheer either. <laughs> I also have witnesses that she cried. And she said, the Lord has spoken. If I try again for a daughter, we'll have triplet boys. We are through with this nonsense. <laughs> so I'm the youngest of six boys. So you can imagine the chaos in our household. Endless calls to the ambulance, right? Uh, you know, it's the only time that you hear this phrase, hey, y'all, watch this, is in a group of guys. My dad said he calculated our cumulative uh, IQ was the lowest IQ of the boy present divided by the number of boys present. That is the collective IQ. And that's the truth. Um, so I once took a bow and arrow, shot an arrow in the air and just waited for it to come down. It didn't come down for a while. I moved over to right in the ground. It was awesome. Um, I took a, I, I'm a budding engineer, so I took firecrackers that my parents didn't know I had. I built some rockets that they didn't know I was doing, and I can send these babies over 300 feet in the air. Um, I, I started to light it. I'm standing over my rocket, and uh, the, I was going to do the NASA countdown, but it was instantaneous liftoff. When the wind caught the flame and lit the bottom of the fuse, it hit me in the head, knocked me on the ground, knocked me out, hit my twin brother, knocked him to the ground. When I came to, I had a curtain of red, and my twin is going, ah, 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 and I was like, let's sneak in the basement. Don't tell mom and dad, ah, and for the life of him, the doctor does not know how I tripped and fell on that bean can. <laughs> I lied. I sinned. I have been forgiven. But I, I've been a young boy once, and I didn't want to share anything with my brothers. Maybe it's a flaw in my character. But if I showed up prepared, and these other brothers did not show up prepared, it's just too bad, so sad, go call your dad. <laughs> Who's with me? Yeah. And this boy, he brought his lunch, and all these other grown-ups brought nothing. I, maybe that says something about their expectations of how long that gathering was going to happen, whatever it is. But he brought his lunch, and he chose to make an unbelievable decision. He chose to put his, his lunch in the Lord's hands. Do you think that honored the Lord Jesus? It's incredible. You know, when we give, we honor the Lord. When we take what has been placed in our hands, and we place it in the Lord's hands, every time, not some of the time, that honors God. We shared this verse last week in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. It says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. It, God gives us the ability to produce wealth. And when we choose to give, because he gives us that choice, we honor him. You know, when I, I started out my money journey, I was broke as a joke. I grew up youngest of six. Money was scarce. Um, I, 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 I'm the youngest of six, but me and my twin were the first to go to college. And so my twin brother, he went, we grew up just south of Indianapolis, Indiana. He went to the Indiana University Hoosiers. And then I made the better choice and went to the art rival, the Purdue University Boilermakers. 
get fired up. Okay, yeah, I'm preaching now. The youth pastor's with me. And if you don't know, boiler up, hammer down. He's a boiler fan. But here's what I know. I went to Purdue University and I had no money. So how do you think I paid for my college? Yeah, Sally Mae. This girl I started dating, that some of you are dating. She has first cousins named Nabiet, Great Lake Servicing, Federal Direct Loans. Uh, anybody know any of these? And I financed it all. And I found if I would just sign some papers, they would let me stay. It's incredible. And then my first week in there, they said, if you fill out these credit card applications, we'll give you free stuff. Yes. This, I can do that. What's your name? Joseph Sangal. What is your income? Zero dollars. What is your job? I don't have one. And listen, in the 15 seconds of that, they gave me a free two liter of Coca-Cola. That's great wages. And then I went to the next booth and I got a t-shirt from AT&T that advertised their long distance service. All the millennials are totally confused. <laughs> Believe it or not, it used to cost you money to call someone on the other side of town. Has yeah. anybody here gotten in trouble for talking too long on long distance? <laughs> oh yeah, the Lord sees those wounds, he'll heal them. And then went to the next booth and American Express gave me a duffel bag. Yeah, that I still use for hunting to this day. And so even though I admitted that that I had no money and no job, guess what showed up in the mailbox a week later? An Advanta credit card. And I started practicing with it and I found out I had a gift. I could make money disappear rapidly. It should have employed the wisdom from that kid's show that says swiper, no swiping. Come on, Vominos, everybody, let's go. But I was swiping away and I quickly ran up a balance that I couldn't pay off every month. And then I've had student loan debt. I have credit card debt. I finally graduate by a miracle of God. I graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering. This is proof God works miracles. I, I didn't get any A's in engineering. None. My 2.64 GPA was brought up by my A in indoor flower arranging. I'm not kidding. There were 97 girls and three guys in the class. <laughs> And so I, I, I graduate. Have you ever been at a graduation and wonder if, if your name's going to be called? That's a very special feeling. And so I graduated and I, I said, you know what? I deserve a new car. I deserve one. Because, listen, I think you'll agree with me when I tell the story that I needed a different car. I had a 1981 Datsun B210. Yeah, get fired up. None exist anymore. You have to Google it to see what they look like. They've all rusted away. They disintegrated. The, the body disintegrated, but the engine ran forever on a thimble full of gas. Anybody remember them? Small sardine cans. I mean, this thing was so special that, that the floorboard of the passenger side rusted out. Like I had a custom cut piece of plywood to keep my passengers from falling out. <laughs> the rear end rusted off its frame. It literally wiggled like a fish down the highway. One day I crossed a rough railroad track crossing, you know, the rough ones, the whole dash collapsed in my lap. So I pushed it back up with clothesline, tied it up. Then the driver's side door stopped latching and in a sure sign that my engineering degree wasn't working, I couldn't fix it. Plus they didn't have YouTube. And so I literally rolled down the window and used more clothesline to tie it shut and went in and out of the window like the Dukes of Hazard. That's not the worst moment. The worst moment, one night I'm driving, just pitch black night, just starlight, no moonlight. 
driving down in the country there in Indiana amongst the cornfields, and they had these ditches where instead of like burying the, the tile and making it smooth, they just plop the tile there and make little ramps, really. And so I hit it, and my lights went out. This is a problem, especially at night. And then immediately after, a fireball, the entire width of the hood, came out from the hood, roared over the windshield, and then my lights came back on. Isn't that awesome? The first time, I denied that it happened. That's what you do when you're broke. That didn't happen. That did not happen. The second time, I finally decided I should check it out. And I realized really quickly, the battery holders had rusted away. They were just gone. And when I was hitting bumps, it was bouncing up, arcing out on the metal hood and igniting a pinhole leak in the fuel line. So how do you think I fixed the pinhole leak in the fuel line? Duct tape, baby. Yes, I did. I sold it with duct tape on it. <laughs> I got married. Do, do you agree? I, I, need, I needed a different car. Do you agree? But I bought a new car. So I bought a brand new car. I haven't financed the sales tax, 105% financing. And then I got married to my college sweetheart, a beautiful Chicago Polish Southsider, Jennifer Lynn Nijakowski. And, uh, and we got married and uh, we bought a house somehow. I have no idea how we bought a house. We moved to South Carolina. I bought a truck because somewhere in the lost book of the Bible, the first book of Hesitations, chapter three, verse two, it says every guy needs a truck. All guys say amen. <laughs> but I bought a truck and I ended up getting a bunch of stuff. We needed furniture for the new house. Do you think we paid cash for it? 24 months, same as cash. We had some furniture delivered. And I found myself in a mess. Watch this. Blaming God for it. The whole time I'm sharing that story, I'm sure you were thinking, man, the Lord has been mean to him. But I was blaming God for it. And I told God how to fix my problem. God, obviously you need to give me more money. I need more income. Have you ever tried that? And I realized that I was not honoring God with any of the resources he was giving me. I was a terrible steward. In fact, I had to look at it as if I'm the manager. And uh, if I'm operating this business, am I running a for-profit or non-profit life? And I realized I'm operating at a loss, no profit. And, and I realized I needed to learn differently. And I went on a quest to say, how can I fix this? Like I knew how to do calculus, but I couldn't manage my money. And I thought this must be really hard. Everyone around me was broke, so it wasn't unusual. And I finally, I looked a lot of places. I, I watched some infomercials. That wasn't, that wasn't a very good start. I bought some books. That was a better start. And then I found the greatest money book ever written. What's that? God's word, the Bible. And I started seeing this word show up a lot. One I don't hear anywhere else called the first fruits. You ever heard that? First fruits? It's a Bible word. And I realized in the NIV, it says that 31 times. It says this word first fruits, bring the first fruits of the Lord. When I looked in the King James version, which I grew up, thou shalt find it there 30 times. If you look in the ESV edition, it's there 33 times. And then the thought occurred to me, how many times does last fruits and no fruits show up in the Bible? In all editions combined, none times. 
God wants us to put him first, and in that way, we honor him. And why would God ask us to bring it back to him? Because he knows that the thing he's interested in, not our resources, it's what's attached to it. And we see that in Jesus' words in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. It says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Anybody ever had something stolen from you? Does that give you special feelings? It says, but do what, Jesus says, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, say it with me, there your heart will be also. Hey, parents, this is why we spend so much money on our kids. You love them. They're obviously the world's most beautiful children. Yes, you know they're sinners, but they're awesome. Do you know it takes on average a quarter of a million dollars to get your kid to age 18? And that doesn't include college. I mean, if your kid is sitting in here, just lean over to him and say, you're expensive, right? (laughs) But here's the deal. When you choose to give, what happens when we give? It honors the Lord. The biblical standard is to give the first 10%. And I'll never forget, in the midst of my mess, I chose to do something outrageous. In fact, I chose to do it because the Lord gave me a beautiful bride who came in on a Sunday afternoon as I was taking a nap and watching my beloved Chicago Scrubs lose another baseball game. And April 1st is when they're mathematically eliminated from playoff contention. That's a baseball joke. And she came in with this budget and she said, Joseph, what do you think of this budget? Well, I'm a spender. What do you think I think of this budget? I burst into poetry. My name is Joe and that budget makes me say no and that interrupts my flow. So it's got to go. (laughs) But she was cute. So I decided to look at it. And then I realized as an engineer, it could be an Excel spreadsheet. Oh, oh, oh. I ran into our computer room. I got on our Gateway 2000 computer. Anybody remember that? And for the first time in our life, we put God first. And we, 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 we put away the, do we tithe on the gross or the net? We just said, we're so broke, we're so desperate, we gonna, we'll tithe on it all. We've never looked back. That was over 20 years ago. 20 years and two months to be exact. 242 months ago. And I can tell you with full authority, God is honored by it. So my challenge to you is to understand that when we give, we honor God. The next thing that happens when we give is when we give, we bless others. We bless others. We heard about the need in Maui It's a disaster. I've been able to serve a church in Honolulu for nearly 10 years. I was speaking with them two days ago. The devastation's ridiculous. They have partner churches there and the great work of this organization that Pastor mentioned, it's it's a huge need. And when you give to it, do you have any doubt that that's gonna bless others? You know, we're compelled and we're called to serve others. Jesus modeled this. He saw everybody was hungry and he fed them. He worked a miracle. When the boy gave his lunch through the work of Jesus, it blessed others, didn't it? 
It's incredible. In fact, in Acts 4, 34, we see that generosity marked the early church. It says, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. So I want to take a moment to dwell on this. I want you to really make this personal. I want you to think of a time in your life when you were given a gift that, that was just really sensational. May have been when you were a young kid. It may have been yesterday. I, I want you to think of that gift, whatever that was. Do you have it? Yeah? Nod? Okay. Hey, when you received that gift, did it bless you? Some of you are emotional about it right now and it happened 40 years ago. Let me share about a gift like that that happened for me. I'm the youngest of six. I'm finally turning 18. I'm graduating high school. My parents could not hide their enthusiasm and excitement that the last two were getting out of the house. In fact, at our high school graduation party, it was so obvious that the party was for our parents, not for us. The gift they gave me and my twin, luggage. <laughs> we love you, pack up, get out. <laughs> That's awesome. But, but I'm at this, this party, and uh, now, now some of you know about wrestling, you know about the four horsemen and you know all this stuff? Anybody know about No, nobody, okay. Anyhow, um, well, we had the four J's. My name's Joe, my twin's name is John, and we had Jamie and Jason. It was the four J's. Everywhere we went, church, life, it was the four J's. And so the four J's run around, but Jason, my friend Jason, he grew up in a very unique set of circumstances. You see, his mother was from another country, she met a, a U.S. serviceman. They fell in love, got married, moved to the States. She barely knew the English language. And for reasons unknown to me, they had three babies. And when the fourth one was on the way, her husband ran away for reasons unknown to me and never came back. That fourth child was my friend, Jason. They grew up in abject poverty. She had severe health issues and lived on complete government assistance. I don't know if any of you know what that's like. It's free housing, free food. It just, it's, it's abject poverty. Yet every time the doors of the church were open, they were there. And it was my friend Jason. And we had great moments with my friend Jason and his, his family. I remember distinctly one time my friend Jason, his issues were found out by Bob Knight, the Indiana Hoosiers coach, who threw telephones and smashed chairs and all through all those, he donated the IU basketball players' shoes to that family. Generosity. But I remember in the midst of our graduation party, everybody running around, his mama, who was about this tall, came up and handed me and my twin each a card. And when I opened the card, there was a dollar bill in it. And she hurriedly told me in her broken English that she had ironed 
the dollar bill so it would look new. I can tell you in that moment, it was like the world stopped. And I remember jumping off this chair and giving her a big hug and in the moment saying, there is no way I can ever spend this card, this, this dollar. And I put it away and over the years it kind of went away. I didn't know, I kind of knew where it was. But I remember as I was thinking about this, I recalled it a couple years ago and all of a sudden I said, I'm gonna go find this. I have to go see it. I had found out that she had passed away. And I said, I have to go, because I was marked by her generosity. And I, I remember this moment in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, with the widow who gave a few copper coins. And Jesus compelled the disciples to him and said, hey, look, everybody else gave out of the wealth. She gave all. And, and I went and I, I started digging in the, the uh, attic and my wife was so excited. The boxes started coming out. And guess what box I found it in? The last box. And I'm digging down. I didn't really remember what it looked like, but I remember I got to the bottom of the box and I saw the card and I opened it. And there's her name. There's the dollar. In fact, I had it framed with Mark 12, 41 through 44 and it sits in the entrance to my office. I brought a picture of it to share with you. And there it is. And you can see her name spelled Evie Riley. The most profound gift I've ever received was a dollar. And I brought that to share it with you to say there's a lot of times we discredit the gift we're giving because we don't think it can make a difference. And I came here to tell you it's not how much you give. It's what you give in proportion to what the Lord has blessed you with. And never ever discredit to say it won't make a difference. No matter if you don't see it this side of glory, when you choose to give, it's a choice. It will bless others. In fact, because of that, me and my bride created a second line in our budget. The first line is honor God with the tithe. The second line item is bless others. In fact, we call it intentionally bless others. Now, my bride is a genius. She is very smart, but spelling, it's not her bag, man. She would write me love notes. I can see a, I can see a misspelled word from 700 miles away. I would edit her love letters. It's kind of wrong. I know, judge me, judge me. I'll take it. It's so bad that as a teacher, her students bought her a shirt that said, hooked on the pahonics are working for me. It's awesome. It's so funny. And she wrote it in our budget and it says intentionally. She left out the I-O-N. And I, I kid her all the time I left it because it's so cute. So we don't intentionally bless others. We intentionally bless others. Can I challenge you today? Hey, if you've not put God first, will you put him first in your finances? Will you test him? But also, will you include a second line item and put in intentionally or intentionally bless others? You see, we've invited our kids into it. We pull it out in cash every month. And we carry it with us everywhere we go. And we literally have well over 100 stories of how we've been able to intentionally bless others. In fact, they are stories that only our family will know. 
but I will share one story. And it's that we invite our children into the story. They know it exists. And we tell them if they see a need, tell us and they can use the money. And I remember my oldest daughter saying that she had a friend in high school who was living with her grandparents and they weren't planning on raising their grandchild, so it's a challenge. And her friend really wanted a pair of chucks because chucks are cool, apparently. They're really cool in the 70s and they're apparently really cool again. And we said, go buy two pairs. And she got to go give her friend two pairs of chucks. Let me tell you, it turns out if you put a line item in your budget that says intentionally bless others, God will give you opportunities to intentionally bless others and you will love it. When we give, we honor God and we are blessed. The third thing that happens when we give is we are blessed. We, we honor God, we bless others and we are blessed. It's a blessing to share these stories. It's a blessing to share how God has worked. And I think about this boy. I don't know what his name was. What's, what was the boy's name who gave up his fish and chips? Can we call him Bob? His name was Bobby. Bobby gave up his lunch. And, you know, in that moment, he was blessed because he saw God, Jesus, use this gift. But as I think about it, I think there's a greater blessing here. I think the greater blessing is the story he got to carry with him the rest of his life. The fact that he got to say, hey, let me tell you, have I told you this story about this time that Jesus was here? And he was, and they're all rolling their eyes. Yes, only a thousand times. But he's often telling the story again. And he's telling his kids. And he gets to tell his grandkids. And I can tell you that one of the greatest blessings of turning over your finances as God as owner and myself as manager is I get to point to the blessings God gave and he gets the glory and he alone gets the glory. I know me. I know me. I'll spend it up. It'll all be gone. But there was a day where me and my bride started to, we prepared a budget and we did something even more ridiculous. We followed the budget. You know they're two separate things, right? And so we gave the tithe, and we may have done a little known form of tithing called angry tithing. I know you've never done it. So I'll test you right now. Now I'm going to write a check so I can get some float here. I know you've never done that. But let me tell you something. 242 months ago, we wrote out a budget and followed it. 14 months after that started, we paid off our last debt. We broke up with Sally Mae. Hallelujah. The car was paid off. The truck was paid off. I, I didn't know my parents anymore. And, and a couple years later, God put a full-time call to ministry in our heart. And we got to go on staff at a church we helped start. And I got to negotiate myself a 50% pay cut. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let me tell you, greed has invaded the American church. We think it's only godly if it means more for us. But sometimes God's calling us to get our attention in this area of our finances so we can still prosper, but with less. And because we got rid of debt, we could still prosper even on half the income. And in that moment, uh, we started to see God start to work really unbelievable miracles. I started a blog. Anybody remember blogs back in the day? 
I started writing about this, this journey I was on and this passion. I started coaching all the people that I was working with and anybody that would listen and half that wouldn't listen and saying, look what God has done. This is incredible. This is unbelievable. And, and then I felt God say, you know, you should, this could be a book. And I was like, um, my English teacher in high school would soundly disagree with that. But, but I started to write this book and I sent it off to publishers. They universally agreed it should not be printed. <laughs> but I felt this compelling call and I didn't understand it. And, and so I Googled how to self-publish a book. That's how we all become experts, Google and YouTube. And so I followed the process and we printed the book and released it January 20th of 2008. Was there a better time to release a personal finance book? Do you remember what was happening then? Your 401k, it turned into a 201k and then into a box of special K. Can I get a witness? Yeah. And all of a sudden, that book just started selling ridiculously. And, and God sold more than $2 million of that book. To God be the glory. I don't know how that happened. But I do know this. If I would never taken the first step, none of that would have happened. None of it would have happened. And I wonder what God has unlocked for you that will be unlocked when you choose to embrace this, this lifestyle of generosity. And so I want to read this story, and then I'm going to issue a challenge. It's a story of something called the Rich Family in our church, and it's from 1946, written by Eddie Ogan. It says, I'll never forget Easter 1946. I was 14 my little sister, Osi, was 12. My older sister, Darlene, 16. We lived at home with our mother. And the four of us knew what it was, was to do without many things. My dad had died five years before leaving mom to raise the kids with no money. By 46, our older sisters were married. My brothers had left home. A month before Easter, the pastor of our church announced that a special Easter offering would be taken to help a poor family. He asked everyone to save and give sacrificially. When we got home, we talked about what we could do. We decided to buy 50 pounds of potatoes and live on them for a month. Get fired up. This would allow us to save $20 of our grocery money for the offering. When we thought that if we kept our electric lights turned out as much as possible and didn't listen to the radio, we'd save money on that month's electric bill. Darlene got as many house and yard cleaning jobs as possible, and both of us babysat for everyone we could. For 15 cents, we could buy enough cotton loops to make three pot holders to sell for a dollar. We made $20 on pot holders. That month was one of the best of our lives. Every day we counted the money to see how much we had saved. At night, we would sit in the dark and talk about how that poor family was going to enjoy having the money the church would give them. We had about 80 people in our church, so we figured that whatever amount of money we had to give, the offering would surely be 20 times that much. After all, every Sunday, the pastor reminded everyone to save for the sacrificial offering. The day before Easter, Osi and I walked to the grocery store and the manager gave us three crisp $20 bills and one $10 bill for our change. We ran all the way home to show mom and Darlene we had never had so much money before. That night, we were so excited we could hardly sleep. We didn't care that we wouldn't have new clothes for Easter. We had $70 for the sacrificial offering. We could hardly wait to get to church. Sunday morning, the rain was pouring. We didn't own an umbrella and the church was over a mile from our house, but it didn't seem to matter how wet we got. Darlene had cardboard in her shoes to fill the holes. The cardboard came apart and her feet got wet. But we sat in church proudly. I heard some teenagers talking about the Smith girls having on their old dresses. I looked at them in their new clothes, but I felt rich. 
When the sacrificial offering was taken, we were sitting in the second row from the front. Mom put in the $10 bill and each of us three kids put in a $20 bill. As we walked home after church, we sang all the way. At lunch, mom had a surprise for us. She had bought a dozen eggs and we had boiled Easter eggs with our fried potatoes. Late that afternoon, the minister drove up in his car. Mom went to the door, talked with him for a moment and then came back with an envelope in her hand. We asked what it was, but she didn't say a word. She opened the envelope and out fell a bunch of money. There were three crisp $20 bills, one $10 bill and 17 $1 bills. Mom put the money back in the envelope. We didn't talk. We just sat and stared at the floor. We had gone from feeling like millionaires to feeling like poor trash. We kids had such a happy life that we felt sorry for anyone who didn't have parents and a house full of brothers and sisters and other kids visiting constantly. We thought it was fun to share silverware and see whether we got the spoon or the fork that night. Isn't that crazy? It finishes this way. We had two knives that we passed around to whoever needed them. I knew we didn't have a lot of things that other people did, but I'd never thought we were poor. But that Easter day, I found out we were. The minister had brought us the money for the poor family, so we were the poor family. I didn't like being poor. I looked at my dress and worn out shoes and felt so ashamed. I didn't want to go back to church. I didn't want to go back to school. Everybody there already knew we were poor. I thought about school. I was in the ninth grade and at the top of my class of over 100 students. I wonder if the kids there really knew that we were poor. I decided that if I quit school, since I'd finished the eighth grade and the law was all required at the time, that maybe I should. We sat in silence for a long time. Then it got dark and we went to bed. And all that week, we went to school and came home and no one talked much. Finally, on Saturday, mom asked us what we wanted to do with the money. What did poor people do with the money? We didn't know. We never known we were poor. We didn't want to go to church on Sunday, but mom said we had to. And although it was a sunny day, we didn't talk on the way there. Mom started to sing, but no one joined in. She only sang one verse. At church, we had a missionary speaker. He talked about how churches in Africa made buildings out of sun-dried bricks, but they needed money to buy roofs. He said $100 would put a roof on a church. And the minister said, can't we all sacrifice to help these poor people? And we looked at each other and smiled for the first time in a week. Mom reached in her purse, pulled out the envelope. She passed it to Darlene. Darlene gave it to me. I handed it to Osi, and Osi put it in the offering. And when the offering was counted, the minister announced it was a little over $100. The missionary was so excited. He hadn't expected such a large offering from our small church. He said, you must have some rich people in this church. And suddenly it struck us. We had given $87 of that little over 100 bucks. We were the rich family in our church. Hadn't the missionary said so? And from that day on, I've never been poor again. I've always remembered how rich I am because I have Jesus. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> 77 years ago, she wrote that. It's never more true today. So I wanna issue you a challenge as we wrap it up. And it's something called the 90-day generosity challenge. The 90-day generosity challenge is not to compel you to give, but to encourage you in what giving means. There's 13 uh, recorded devotionals that I've prepared on my favorite passages of scripture related to generosity. Generosity to the Lord, generosity in how it blesses others, generosity in how it positions us for blessing. We have a QR code that's gonna be put on the screen that you could scan right now and you could add your name to the list. You're not signed up for a marketing thing. It's just 13 weeks, 90 days. That's gonna encourage you 
in this thing called giving. You can pull out your phone, scan it. That's awesome. I see so many phones up. Isn't it awesome you can scan some weird looking square? Is it working? Yes. Should say Life Church Buffalo. And it's four to six minutes and it's meant to be a devotional. It'll be sent to you on every Monday that will encourage you in great passages of scripture. You know, Jesus said that you'll be able to lay up treasures in heaven. You know that? Do you know how you lay up treasures in heaven? Well, Paul writes it in his letter to Timothy, how we do that in 1 Timothy chapter six. And we share that as one of those weeks, specifically the five ways we store up treasures in heaven. And then there's a call to action, how you could live it that week. And I see most of you scanned it. And so my challenge to you is this. As you make the decision to put God first, as you think about how that will bless others and how it sets you apart for blessing, when God does it, when he does what only he can do, will you be careful to give him all the glory, the credit, and the honor? Will you be careful to make sure you invite your kids, your family, or your coworkers into the journey? Because our life is but a vapor. And I don't know about you, I think I do, but when I pass on from this earth, should the Lord tarry, I wanna be known as having been convicted of living a generous life. How about you? Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much that you model generosity. Lord, you own it all. It's all from you, it's all for you. You model it, Lord, by sending your son Jesus who died on a cross, lived a sinless life, yet you let him be slaughtered so that our sins could be covered through the washing of his blood. Lord, that he gave us his life, an outrageously generous gift, so that we could receive that free gift of salvation, that we could have a pardon of our sin, that we might be able to live a life that is victorious. Lord, we thank you that you are the owner of this, and that relieves us of a lot of pressure. Lord, help us to operate as managers and to be known as your people, a generous people. This week, as we walk out of these doors to this church, help us to have eyes to see needs. And Lord, give us the compelling draw to help them. For those of us who've not been honoring you with the first fruits, let this be the day. As I can point to 242 months ago, that Jen Sangle and Joe Sangle made a decision. Lord, we've never looked back. Let this be that day. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all you've done in this amazing church. Continue to do it, Lord, and we'll give you all the praise, the glory, the credit, the honor. And it's in your name we pray, in your name, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>